We bless your name, Lord. We honor you in this place. Can we just give the Lord a great shout of praise this morning? He is so worthy of all our praise in this place. Good morning, Frontline family. Good morning, church. So special to have you all back in the house this morning. Welcome to everyone in this campus and welcome to all those in the other campuses this morning. Are you excited to be in the house this morning? I've really missed hearing your voices. So if you are pleased to be here, would you shout amen as loud as you can? Amen. Amen. It feels like it's been way too long since we've been together, but we are together now. So we just thank the Lord for the privilege of gathering as His church. Thank you to our worship team this morning and all those worshiping in the other campuses. We trust that you were as blessed as we were in this time of adoring our King Jesus. There is nothing quite like corporate worship. Amen. Church, can we just give the Lord one more praise offering before we get into the word? Would you please bow your heads with me as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? Father God, we gather together today in the mighty name of Jesus. We are so grateful that we can assemble as your church and bring you the honor and glory you deserve. As we go through your word today, let your word be established in our hearts and our minds so that we would become people that accurately reflect your glory and advance your kingdom mission in this world. Open up the eyes of our hearts and gird up the loins of our minds as we prepare to be transformed by your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening so that Christ-exalting truth would change us from the outside in as you work on the inside to purify and soften our hard hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Church, what a privilege to be with you this morning and to bring you the Word of God. Today we are going to continue with our series on the book of Acts. Today is essentially part one because last week was more of an introduction to the book. And if you can recall, last week we identified that the book of Acts is really the sequel to the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. And that the book of Luke is volume one and the book of Acts is volume two of Dr. Luke's writings. We only covered five verses the last time we were together, and I'd like for us to read those verses again as part of our introduction this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 1. For those reading on your, your phones or your tablets, I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is what it says. The former account I made of Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As we go through these scriptures, we note that what Jesus began to do and teach in the gospel accounts, 
he continues to do and teach in the book of Acts through the Holy Spirit. The Lord's work of redemption, his work on the cross is completed. He has given the offering that sanctifies forever those who believe in him. He has provided the sufficient atonement to satisfy the wrath of God. He has done his atoning work. He has borne in his body our sins through his death. And because of that, we have died spiritually to our old lives and risen in him. So the work of redemption has been completed on the cross as far as the sacrifice of Christ is concerned. However, the work of gathering the redeemed goes on. And it goes on in the first generation through the apostles. And then through the church as the apostles established the church. The responsibility for the proclamation of the gospel and the establishment of churches passes to these twelve. There are actually eleven until a little later in this chapter when a twelfth is chosen to replace Judas. And they become the first wave of evangelists and preachers that go out and gather the redeemed and establish the church. And here we are, 2,021 years later, and we are still engaged in that same work passed down from generation to generation of gathering the redeemed into churches and even establishing churches. And this will go on until the last person in the plan of God is redeemed, and then the church is raptured out of the world, and that glorious era comes to its fulfillment. So in these initial verses, we see the Lord pass the baton to his disciples. And in that time of passing the baton, for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus showed up and he taught them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He encouraged them. And he provided them, and I would say all future believers, with many infallible proofs. And prepared them for the coming Holy Spirit. Because that's how the work of Jesus would continue. And as eager as these disciples may have been to run ahead and fulfill the Great Commission in the energy or the work of their own flesh, Jesus told them to wait. He told them to wait for the necessary equipment. They had to wait for the power to do the work that he called them to do. Church, by the way, this wasn't something that was a negotiable for Jesus. It wasn't like he said, you can choose whether or not you want to be filled. What he was basically saying is, if you want to, be, you want to fulfill the Great Commission, and you want to fulfill all that I've predestined in your life, and in that process come against the enemy and what he tries to do to you and to bring you down, you are going to need my help. And if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill his ministry here on this earth, then how much more do we need it? And you see, it wasn't only a command from Jesus. It was a promise. That's what he says in verse 4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You see, Jesus is referring to the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father in the Old Testament. Specifically in Ezekiel chapter 36 and Joel chapter 2. And as long as the disciples had been with Jesus, he reiterated that promise to them. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, church, in a very real sense, Jesus is the prototype for you and for me. Firstly, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. We see in Luke chapter 3 that the Spirit came upon Jesus. 
It says that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in Luke chapter 4 it says, He goes forth to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what was promised in the book of Joel and what was promised in the book of Ezekiel, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon God's people took place first of all in Jesus Christ who is the prototype. He is the God-man, but he was fully man and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit when he was on the earth. And we know that his whole ministry was basically operating in that power. What he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, who had received the Holy Spirit at his baptism, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit in ministry, then began to promise to his disciples that they would have the very same thing, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them as well. Which leads me to the following verses, verse 6, 7, and 8. Let's read it together. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, church, if you're like me and you've read this passage of Scripture, you would ask the question, how, what the disciples are asking Jesus about the kingdom of God in any way relevant to the promise of the Holy Spirit or anything else in this chapter. Jesus is telling them that they're going to be empowered with the same spirit that he was empowered with, that they're essentially going to be able to do what he did, and they're saying, Lord, will you restore the kingdom at this point? It just seems like it's way off. It seems like it's way off the topic. It seems like it's just a major interruption in the flow of this chapter. I guess they were just showing a bit of human nature. We could think that of them, right? Because, I mean, they were human. But it could also be because of their knowledge of the Old Testament. The knowledge of Ezekiel chapter 36 and Joel chapter 2. I think we can give them some credit here that they knew what was promised in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit was promised it usually accompanied the restoration of the kingdom. And there is good evidence that the apostles had accurate knowledge of the Old Testament because we'll see in their preaching throughout the book of Acts that they make reference to many Old Testament scriptures. And also because in Luke chapter 24, this is important. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus opens their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Look at what it says. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you when I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Church, have you ever read something and all of a sudden, you know, something important you're reading, and all of a sudden you go, now I get it. You know, it's like the penny drops. Now I can see it. Well, Jesus did that for his earthly followers so that they could understand the Old Testament Scripture and how it is fulfilled in Christ. 
This was a critical part of the establishment and the continuation of the church. So that should explain the, the strange question in verse 6. But don't you just love how human and how normal the disciples are? They're still growing. They are still imperfect. They are still on a journey. And that should bring us some encouragement when we realize how far we are from being perfect, right? And how much we need the Holy Spirit. So in response to the question, Jesus basically says, it's not about when. It's about what? You're worried about when is the time? When is the, the kingdom going to be restored? I want you to forget about the when, and I want you to think about the what. What it is I want you to do. Because I have a job for you to do. And this has been Luke's theme since the beginning in verse 1. This is what Jesus began to do and teach, but now he's going to do it through the Holy Spirit, through the lives of his apostles. He began to do and teach something so that they would do something. So he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, so Jesus is shifting gears now, putting things back on track, but you shall receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis, mighty power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the Lord against, in verse 8, he promises the Holy Spirit, but this time he uses the word power. This word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. And this brings us back to the message that Jesus is constantly communicating to his believers. You need the necessary equipment to do the mission that I've called you to do. And what is the mission? After the power comes on you, you will be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. That includes us as the church of today. The Holy Spirit comes and you become a witness. This is a statement of fact. You are the only witnesses that he has. You are the witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And just in case you're thinking this morning, you know, I can't be a witness because I don't stay in Jerusalem. Guess what? Your Jerusalem is right here. This is your, your starting point. Amen? Church, very interestingly, the word witness, it's the Greek word martyros. I think that's how you pronounce it, martyros, from which we get the English word martyr. And what it basically means, it means a witness for Jesus who dies because of that witness. It's powerful. You see, the word witness came to be the word martyr because so many witnesses to the gospel died. At the time of the birth of the early church, there was absolutely no support in Christian culture. The world was totally pagan. There was no affirmation of some kind of cultural Christianity or Christian morality that for you and I, most of our lives have had the, the comfort and the luxury of experiencing. They were aliens to everything in that culture. And there they went, preaching the words of Jesus about God becoming incarnate and the bread of heaven coming down to the earth. They were telling people, listen, if you don't believe in him, if you don't give your heart to him, you're going to go to hell forever. They were preaching the good news of the gospel, right? 
which apparently wasn't good news to most of the Jews and the Gentiles in the known world because persecution was happening everywhere to the point where the witnesses became martyrs. Makes you look at that Christian calling a bit differently, doesn't it? But church, regardless of what it means to be a witness in Mulbarton in the year 2021 and what it means to be a witness in a couple of years from now, we are called to be witnesses through pleasure or through persecution. This is what we were originally called to do. And I personally believe that we are living closer to in conditions like these people did in the book of Acts than we've probably ever been in the history of our world since the early church. And why do I say that? Because more and more we're like aliens living increasingly in an anti-Christian culture. And that's why we need this dunamis power. That's why we need this dunamis power of the Holy Spirit because the mandate of the church hasn't changed. The message of the gospel still needs to go out to your Jerusalem and to your Judea and to your Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts shows us how the powerful message of the gospel goes out in ever-widening circles. Because we see in chapters 1 to 7, the gospel witness going to Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9, the gospel witness going to Judea and Samaria. And chapters 10 through 28, the gospel witness going to the ends of the earth, all the way to the heart of the world, at that time, Rome. And guess what? It didn't stop there. Because here we sit at the bottom of the African continent with the, the same life-changing truth. The gospel goes out in ever-widening circles. That's the outline. At church, I see a pattern here. Because when it comes to how the Lord has operated in my life, He's operating in the same way. In ever-widening circles. And I'm sure it's the same with your life. You know, it started with me getting saved in this church 14 years ago. And then telling my family, then telling my friends, and then the Lord has given me a little more influence and a little more influence year after year. And it is my prayer that what the Lord is doing in me and what the Lord is doing in you and through our church will reach the ends of the earth. Because it is a miraculous story that has transformed each of us and it's a story worth sharing. Can I get an amen to that? And I know when we think about this verse, church, when you think about becoming witnesses, we like to put it in a different category. We like to say, you know what, it's the church's responsibility to get the message out to the, all the, the different parts of the world. I'm here to remind you this morning that you are the church. The church is not a building. A church is not a place you go to or an organization that you belong to. It is who you are. Let's get to verses 9 to 11. The ascension of Jesus. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. Church, there's a number of reasons why this passage of Scripture is significant. Jesus Christ will return as he left. 
He will return personally. He will return visibly. And he will return magnificently. He will firstly come for his church. We call that the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in which Jesus comes close to the earth in the clouds. Not all the way down, and we will rise to meet him in the air. That sounds amazing, right? But one day he's coming all the way back down to the earth. Revelation chapter 19, the the second coming, when every hour will see him. Every hour. Not just the church taken up to meet him, every hour shall see him. And we will come back with him at his second coming. But why do you think Luke mentioned the ascension here again in Acts chapter 1? He already speaks about the ascension of Jesus towards the end of the book of Luke. So why is he he's speaking about it again? Church, I believe it's for the purposes of preparation. To prepare us for what you may ask? Well, firstly, because of what it means in terms of the coming Holy Spirit. Because you see, Jesus had to ascend into heaven and be glorified by the Father before the promised Holy Spirit could be sent. Have a look at with me what it says in John chapter 7. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is more significant than you can imagine, church, because if Jesus didn't ascend, there would be no Holy Spirit. There would be no future church. You and I would not be sitting here today listening to these amazing truths. Jesus had to be glorified by the Father so that he could glorify the church with the Holy Spirit. That's the first reason why this verse is so significant. Jesus had to go in preparation for what was to come. The second reason it bears such significance is because, listen to this church, his return calls for the church's preparation and readiness. Jesus is coming, so we best get things in order. Because you see, if we're not careful, we could live our lives gazing into heaven, wondering when Jesus will return, instead of us preparing ourselves for his return. That's what the angel said. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will return in like manner. And church, on that day, it says in Scripture that the great trumpet will sound and he will send out his angels to the four corners of the earth. And they will gather his chosen people from one end of the world to the other. In other words, get busy preparing. Church, there was a hymn written in 1834 called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Have you heard it? Can you remember how it goes? Let me jog your memory. It starts off like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground 
is sinking sand. It ends with a powerful verse that says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, in him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. In other words, you have a foundation to build your life on. Start building and be found ready when he returns. And church, yes, he will return at an hour that no one knows. No one except the Father. But the point I'm making here is don't put your gaze on things that you don't know and the things you can't control. Put your gaze on the work that he's called you to do. The focus is not when, the focus is, is what? A Bible scholar, Matthew Henry, he said this. He said, when we stand gazing and wondering, referring to this verse, when we stand gazing and wondering, the consideration of our master's return should quicken and awaken us. Because the one who ascended into heaven is the one who will come back in like manner and judge all things, including that which he has entrusted us with. So we need to put our gaze on the work that he's called us to do. And the benefit here, church, is he's not calling you to do this in your own strength. He's promised to empower you with the Holy Spirit to do things that you never imagined possible. Can I get an amen to that? Church, we're not going to cover more verses this morning. We're going to carry on next week with our series. But before we hand over to the facilitators in the other campuses, I want you to encourage you this morning to consider that what we've covered this morning is not only some of the most foundational scriptures in all of the Bible about the establishment of the early church, but that it is foundational for what Jesus is planning to do through your life and my life. Jesus continues to do his work in the life of the redeemed through the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues to empower us to become his witnesses. He continues to prepare his people for a dunamis expression of his presence. And church, I can't help sensing that whatever has happened in each of our lives, from the day that you were born until this point, the Lord has ordained it to be so. Because he has prepared you for such a time as this. He has placed you in this church at this hour for a reason. And just as the Lord was preparing his disciples for the most amazing mission on planet earth, the most significant mission, he's preparing us for something. He's preparing us for the most significant mission that we'll ever be a part of. My call to each of you today is to believe. To believe firstly in the finished work of Christ, not just intellectually, but with your, your entire being. And secondly, to believe that you are part of the church that Jesus prays for and Jesus speaks about. The church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. The church that will continue to gather the redeemed until Jesus comes again. The church that will be caught up with him in the clouds and come back with him at his second coming and rule and reign with him. I want to leave you with this today. It's not about the when. It's about the what. Let us be ready and expectant for what is to come. Can we just give the Lord a great shout of praise for his word this morning?